This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Bibles to the Gospel according to John, chapter 14. And the first thing, and really the thing that uh, struck a chord with me, uh, especially to go in this direction, is the concept of peace. And in my mind, and I believe the scriptures do support this, as a believer, I should have peace. Peace should be mine. And, you know, when you have peace, you know, there's just something about peace. You just, you're not going to be grumpy. You know, you may see things going on around you that you don't agree with and that you don't like. You might see injustices. And, but in all honesty, that shouldn't make you a grumpy person. You know, because one day God will judge and all things will be brought under subjection. And so I'm not worried about the end because I know the end even right now. And there are a lot of things that go on that I don't agree with, that I, I don't, don't make me happy at all. I see people being done wrong and the oppressed being done wrong and it seems like the wicked get away with stuff. It doesn't make you happy, but, you know, I still have peace. Even though the world is going crazy, I still have peace. And I believe as believers, we ought to have peace. And so when I started talking to you again, and this is a little bit of review. When I started talking to you about peace, I said I wanted to give you some definitions of peace. But first, I wanted you to understand what peace is not. Okay? And, and this is just me. This is just how I think of things. I, a lot of times when I think of definitions, I first find out the opposite of it. And so that way it helps clarify for me what it really is. But, but we said this. Now, let's see what peace is not. Anxiety is not peace. So when I'm anxious, or if I'm anxious about anything, uh, that's not peace. I don't want you to to think that it is. When I'm in fear, when I'm dominated by fear, that's not peace. If I'm restless, amen, if I'm restless, that's not peace. Again, you understand as a believer, this shouldn't be me. I shouldn't be anxious. I shouldn't be dominated by fear. I shouldn't be a restless believer. A clamor, that's not peace. Conflict. Hallelujah. That's not peace. I hope you hear this, church. See, this, this, because there are too many conflicts in the church. Too much clamor in the church. Too much restlessness in the church. Too much anxiety in the church. This is not what belongs to us. Noise. Always something going on. That's not peace. Despair. Woe is me. How am I going to make it? That's not peace. Being disturbed, not peace. Being unsettled, that's not peace. All these things, there's a whole bunch of them, right? But trust me, you'd rather have peace than these. And as a believer, my life should not be marked by these. Now, here's where I believe the scriptures support my idea that as a believer... We ought to have peace. John chapter 14, verse 27. 
Jesus says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's Jesus. That's the Master. And he says, this is not what might happen. This is not what should happen. He says, I left peace. And I didn't leave it to the world. I left it to you. Oh, I love the scripture. Peace, I leave with you. And not any peace. My peace, I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So I gave you three definitions of peace. First, I told you peace is stability in time of trouble. Stability in time of trouble. And when I think of that definition, it, it always brings me to the place where I do a lot of times peace and patience are just so hard to separate for me. You see, because when I can be stable on the inside, when I can be stable in times of trouble, I can be the same. I don't have to move. Glory to your name. Yeah, that is so true. See, there are times when there are droughts and the people of God left the place where the drought was because they weren't at peace. They weren't stable on the inside. Now, if they had been stable on the inside, they'd be like, you know what? My God will provide. So when I'm stable on the inside, I can apply myself to patience. See, when I have patience, I don't make moves just because I don't feel so steady on the inside. Glory to your name, God. Many people don't feel steady on the inside in their local church. And so they move. <laughs> when in all honesty, we need to learn to stay still. But the key to that is to have the peace that Jesus left us. If you have that peace, you'll be stable in time of trouble. Secondly, I told you peace is freedom from debilitating thoughts. Glory to God. Now, I want you to understand this. In this world, there will be trouble. And there will be opportunities to take that thought that cuts you down. But peace says, no, those thoughts won't dominate my mind. See, I'd rather have peace than to be anxious. I'd rather have peace than have a noisy head. I'd rather have peace than be in despair. Oh, I'm telling you, what a Savior we serve. He says, I know in this world you'll have trouble. But let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. I'm giving you my peace. Stability in time of trouble. Freedom from debilitating thoughts. Freedom from anxiety. From fears. From restless thoughts. From clamorous thoughts. That's peace. Now, look at this in Mark chapter 4. The book of Mark chapter 4. And in Mark chapter 4, 
we have an example that I believe helps us understand what Jesus left us. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? You know, sometimes you get instructions from God like that. It sounds so simple. But don't you know, in some of the simplest instructions, from point A to point B, there's going to be trouble. So Jesus says something very simple. Let us pass over into the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm. Now, I just want to stop right there at the end of verse number 36. It says, and there was also with him other little ships. I believe it's saying that his ship was little too. It's not saying that he was in some uh, uh, cruiser. You know, he wasn't in some uh, cruise ship and they're in some little uh, uh, dainty ships. And no, they, they all are just little small ships. He was already there, so a bunch of other ships just went with him. So it lets you know that even uh, when he's going through this, that, hey, he's not in the best of boats for this. And there arose, verse 37, there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship. Now, again, I want to stop right here. Why do I take this time? But verse 37 says, And there arose a great storm of wind. Didn't say the devil brought it. There are just going to be winds. There's going to be great storms. There are going to be great waves. You know, this world has been tainted. This world has been polluted. And so as soon as you feel comfortable... Oh, God, I got this. Then here come the wind. Here come the waves. Huh. Here comes the high water. So there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him. In other words, the storm wasn't going to wake him. Somebody was free. And their thoughts. And in the midst of the storm, when they're going crazy, he's asleep on a pillow. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And I imagine he did it just like that. You know how some of you are when you wake up? You know, when somebody wakes you up and you're like, was it really that serious? I mean, I was having a good sleep to the point that you had to wake me up, meaning I was enjoying my sleep, and you get me up for this? I can just see Jesus. Again, this is my imagination. I, I have no, but this is my imagination. I can just see Jesus get up there with, with that knee coffee face. Say, peace, be still. And I can see him walking back. Now, I love this. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And on his way back to bed, he said unto them, 
I believe he's walking down the stairs, you know. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Wow. I, but, but, and I want you to get this. What kind of peace did this man have? If the wind and the sea obey him. Stop and think about that. What kind of peace did this man, who is God, what kind of peace did he have? No storm can take me out. The storm is subject to the master of the seas. All things were made by him and for him, so the wind has to obey at his word. What kind of peace? That's the peace he's left for us. Quite a concept, isn't it? Like I said, it wasn't a what should be. It wasn't a what might be. He said, I left my peace. Peace, I'm leaving you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And again, you know what Jesus gives? He doesn't take away. So when we're missing that peace, it's not because he took it. Something else has entered in. What peace? And it's hard to be grumpy when you got that kind of peace. Amen. I know it's easier said than lived in. But it's ours. See, this is why you have to come on a regular basis. This is why Wednesday nights are good. Because somebody somewhere who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is not in the place right now where they're learning, but he left me his peace. Now, understand this. Oh, I don't want to go here, but understand this. He gave instruction. He said, let us go. And they were on their way following the instructions. And on the way following his instructions, there will be storms, there will be winds, there will be waves. I guarantee it. But in the midst of the storm, while you're about the master's will, remember, the storms are subject to him. The wind and the sea obey him. You can make it. It ain't that bad. <laughs> and even if it is, he can stop it. And if he doesn't, he can keep me through it. So I might as well go to sleep. Oh, I love it. The psalmist talks about him being surrounded by his enemies. But he had a good sleep. Which brings me to this definition. The definition is, well, no, no, let's go back to John chapter 14. See, there's a reason why I can sleep with, when my enemies surround me. And it's not because of me. John chapter 14. Verse 10 and 11. This really is it. 
Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very works' sake. And, and partner with that is John chapter 17. Verse 20 and 21. You see the dynamics? He said, now, now, now when, you, when you deal with me, you deal with the Father. <laughs> when you deal with the Father, you're dealing with me. John chapter 17, verse 20 says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. Oh, isn't that some goodness? Jesus said over in John chapter 14, he said, don't believe me that I'm with the Father. No, no, I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. Now I'm making a prayer for those who will believe the gospel. That they be one. Verse 21, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So here's the key. Here's the key to his peace. He was with the Father, and the Father was with him. That was our third definition. This is peace. I am with God, and God is with me. See, when the sun, in the midst of a little ship, in the midst of a little storm, knows that he is not alone. The same sun who declared before the grave, that, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Hallelujah. Because I know that I'm with you. And you're with me. This is the source of his peace. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. This is, just, this is still review, but it's still as fresh as the first time. Exodus chapter 33. I like how Moses put it. Exodus chapter 33. So peace, stability in time of trouble, freedom from debilitating thoughts, and it comes down to this. I'm with God, and God is with me. That's why I can sleep being surrounded by the enemies, for my Lord keeps me. I wake up and they're still there, still doesn't move me. Because I know who I'm with and who is with me. Verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people. And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by, my, by name. And thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now, again, I want to stop right there. What kind of relationship did Moses have with God? And I want to let you know, we're in a better covenant. <laughs> we ought to be as tight as this, if not more. 
Again, verse 12, Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And, and again, this is, this is lovely. And here's God's answer, verse 14. And God said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. In verse 15, Moses answers back. And he said unto God, Show sure enough, because if that presence go not with me, uh, I'm not going. <laughs> Curious not up here. So it, now, if I go with anybody else, but I don't go with you, I'm not going. Because I understand this. I only want to be with you. And if I'm with you, everything's going to be all right. If your presence is not with us, I'm telling you, church, hallelujah, glory to your name. If his presence is not among us, I don't want to be with us. Now, 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 check this out. Well, maybe funny, maybe not. But so many people come to a church, sit in that church, and boy, they eat the good of the land of that church, won't they? But as soon as something turns south on them, and they're like, you know what, God's presence isn't there. And so they leave. Kind of funny. I, I, this is, I just hear guys say this, right? Just make sure that his presence doesn't show up after you leave. Now, you didn't understand that, did you? See, those are church hoppers. They go from place to place. And something's always wrong with the church until after they leave. And then suddenly the church grows. Then suddenly there's great power and move of God after they leave. They may have been the source of God not wanting to be there. I say, I said, maybe funny, may not. Depends on where you sit and where you stand. Hallelujah. God's presence. I'm with God and God is with me. Now, that's the definition of peace, but that means I have God's presence. When I'm with God and God is with me. And check this out. God's presence is better. You can put anything else you want after that. God's presence is better. God's presence is better than watching TV on Wednesday night. Oh, church, on Wednesday night, I get off many amen. Amen, amen. Some of you sound like you're struggling, but we're here to help you tonight. His presence is better than whatever else you thought you could have been doing tonight. <laughs> Let me help you with His presence is better than 20 days without meat. His presence is better than a midnight snack than a nice piece of chocolate cake. His presence is better. His presence is better. And I love this. Hallelujah. His presence is better than the school of your choice. It's better. I'd rather be where God wants me to be than be where I had made up my mind to go. 
His presence is better than more money. See, I have to weigh that. I've got the ability, the capability of taking this offer of more money, but what is going to have to do with God's presence? Because if he doesn't go, I don't want to be there. And I want you to know this, okay? Please understand this. Never get this mixed up. That's why I've got to be careful saying this. Peace is, I am with God, and God is with me. It's not that God is with me, and I'm with God. There is a difference. Oh, there is a difference. You know, it's not even the same thing as saying God is for you. What, what do you mean? See, because God is for many people whom they won't let him come close. But he's on their side. And the issue is, the difference is, he's here, and they refuse to move from there. Too many people say, God is my back. And so I'm going to boldly go here, even though God hadn't told me. Because remember, this all started when we saw the peace that Jesus had. We're going to go to the other side. See, they had a word from the master. We go on our own word and expect God to follow us. There was this beautiful song. Oh, it was a beautiful song. Years ago. Late 80s, early 90s. And I know what they meant. And it was a beautiful song. I, I know what they meant, but that's not what they said. And they said, wherever I go, let your spirit follow me. And it's such a beautiful And I understand what they meant. They understand that now, now if I'm here or if I'm there, if I'm in a high place or if I'm in a low place, I'll be all right if your presence is there. But the idea is not that he follows. Not that, God, I'm going over here. You better come on with me. Where, where, come on, God. It doesn't work that way. God is like, I tell you where to go. You be there, I am with you, because you are with me. That's how it works. <laughs> and Pastor said it, so many people commanding God. Stop by, God. God said, I told you if you had listened, I wasn't going there. What are you doing there? But that's how, that's how we get in our mind. And then we say, it must not have been the will of God. After the fact, we've been tattered and torn. Or we blame God for it. We weren't listening in the first place. Isn't that what James was talking about? We make our plans. I'm going to move to such and such place. I'm going to have such and such career. I'm going to do this thing and that thing. When we should have stopped and said, God, is this your will? Because you find yourself in the promised land without the one who made the promise. God's presence is better than the plans you had when you didn't have his presence even as a factor. Do you understand me on that? Any born-again believer has that testimony that I had plans and those plans had no provision whatsoever for the presence of God but after that I have been embraced by him I gave up those plans because I'd rather be where he is 
I'm sorry, every born-again believer. Not every Christian, but every born-again believer. So, no, I forsook those plans because I found my true love. And I found the one who loves me, who cares for me, who will keep me, who will provide for me, who will not fail me, who will not forsake me. Because his presence is better than the plans that I had. God's presence is better than anything I have to sacrifice to be in his presence. Better than anything I have to sacrifice. Remember in our learning about fasting, don't concentrate on what you're missing. Concentrate on what you're gaining. And so when God will call us to Sacrifice, And I'm not just talking a fast. Whatever the sacrifice is, you just got to remember, don't concentrate on what I am giving up. Concentrate on what I am gaining. Hmm. And I want to say this again. God's presence is better than anything or anyone. I'm talking relationships. I have to sacrifice. To be in his presence. Look at this in First Chronicles chapter 13. First Chronicles chapter 13. Are you understanding this? I believe you are. Now we went over a certain aspect of this, um, but I want you to see another aspect of it. The Bible is just rich in truth. <laughs> Amen. First Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. So I want you to understand, the ark of God is where God said, I will meet with you. So the ark represents his presence. And so David is saying, hey, everybody, I don't want to be king. If the presence of God is not here. So, if it be right, let's bring the presence to where the presence belongs. Again, this is God's choice to dwell among his people. It's not David doing something that God had not already instructed. Verse 4, And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Now, jump down to verse 13. Now, Read it at your leisure if you have not read this before. But they found out God doesn't operate by their rules. God sets the standard and you stay with his standard. Okay, so they had a little hiccup and they, they had a little learning experience. But jump down to verse 13. So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David. So they had this experience. 
They're learning from it. David's going to learn from it. You know, that's what a, a believer does, though. When a believer misses the voice of God, they go back and they correct it. They don't miss that voice again. And so David is going to learn from it. But right now, he's not allowed to bring that ark home until he has this lesson down. So David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Verse 14. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Where did the blessing on his house come from? It came from the presence of God. You want your home to be blessed? Make room for his presence. Let me tell you this about your home. Your home may be more than you. But if you hear God's voice, you are the one that's going to give entrance into his presence. No, no, you didn't miss that. All of Obed-Edom's home was blessed. Because Obed-Edom brought in the presence of God. Now, you're not understanding. See, we pray for our brothers and our sisters, and we ought to. But what are you doing to make sure that you're with God and that God is with you? Amen. And I want you to consider now, we could be alone. You can be on your own. Actually, that's what you are when you call yourself a believer. And you're not with God, and he's not with you. You are on your own. And I want you to know this. On your own, you are weak. But with God, he is strong. See, his presence is better. When you're on your own, even on your good days, you grow tired. And that's all you have to go on is what you have and are capable of doing. And you get tired. But when you're with God, he doesn't need the rest. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. Oh. No, no, again, on the ship, Jesus can be asleep because the Father's wide awake. He's saying, son, go ahead and go to sleep. You're with me, and so I'm with you. At times, we are faced with choices, and we just don't know. We just don't know. As smart as you are, as many degrees as you have, as many A's as you got, as smart as people profess that you are, there's sometimes you don't have the answer. But my God knows. Whatever it is. He knows. So when I lack wisdom, because I'm with him, and he's with me, I know where to go, and I will be supplied. Now, you know, oh, you're not getting this at all. Oh, my goodness. Uh, now I want to get, go to a family life slant. You see, we've got too many fathers trying to lean on their own understanding. But they lack wisdom. But if they would just get with the Father, 
then God could be with them. And all of their frustrations that they've been asking for answers for, He would readily give. But when you're on your own, what you know is what you know. And sometimes you just don't. Frustrating with other people trying to get the answer when they, you know, some donkey may talk to you. Why don't you talk to God? <laughs> some animal might, why are you so stupid? Even we can understand this. Talk to God. He has the answers. And even when we try our best, sometimes we fail. So when you're on your own, it's going to happen. But when you're with him, he never fails. I'm sorry, but that's, he never fails. Your salvation hinges upon him not failing. <laughs> Thank God I'm saved. I'm saved, saved. Because he doesn't fail. And even when we do have our good days and we're not tired and we might have the right answer, but sometimes we're just limited. There's only so much we can do. Oh, but I love this. I love it. There's nothing too hard for my God. Thank you. Nothing too hard for him. I'm talking about peace. When I'm faced with something that I can't do a thing about, but I'm with him and he's with me, God, I know there's nothing too hard to you. Nothing at all too hard for you. And while I'm on his course, why would I fear? Why would I be afraid? The sea and the wind obey you. Why should my heart be troubled? Why should I be afraid? I know, and I know, I understand. Because we've forsaken some things we should not have forsaken. We know there are some things we should have given God that we've held back from God. But I want you to know, Jesus wanted you to have this peace. <laughs> you don't understand this. He wants you to have, He is rooting for you to get it right. Though you may have made mistake after mistake after mistake today, if you will hear his voice. On our own, we find ourselves at times powerless. Once has he spoken. Twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. So on my own, yeah, I'm powerless. But when I'm with him, and he's with me, I'm with the one who has all power. And not only that, I, I love this, I love his character traits. You see, because, I'm telling you, this is why we shouldn't be grumpy. Peace should make you pleasant to be around. You see, because on my own, I get easily offended. On my own, I do. But when I'm with the Father and the Father's with me, he'll remind me of his great mercies. And when I should be offended in you, you will receive mercy from me, not because I'm on my own, but because I'm with the Father. And the Father's with me. You see, on my own, I hold grudges. 
but he won't keep his anger forever. <laughs> so I get over it. I get over it. <sighs> you know, someone's still afraid to approach you because of what they did to you and they know they did you wrong, but I've gotten over it. Why? Because I'm with the Father. Now, on my own, oh no, oh no, I would keep that in. I, could, I would wait for the moment I could get you back and do it publicly. But then he reminds me, yeah, I ought to be angry at you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Because I want you to remember this. That's the benefit of his presence. Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, church, every born again believer, he's with you. <laughs> you hear me? He's with you. He is with us by His grace. Through faith, He is with us. Ephesians chapter 2, that's good news. That's good news. Sometimes we suffer from a lack of knowledge. Sometimes if someone just would have told us, you know, you've been working on a job for I don't know how long, you didn't know the policies. And then somebody tells you about a policy, you're like, man, I could have been taking advantage of all this. Ignorance. Sometimes somebody just needs to tell you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Wherefore remember. And now, this is, and this is Paul with his letter to the church, or the churches at Ephesus. And I want you to know, at Ephesus, there was a great move of God. Great work of God. Great repentance. Great change of hearts. I mean, if any church had a claim that God was in the midst of them, they had a claim. And so Paul is ministering to them, writing this letter to them from that perspective. He says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now, that's a fancy way of saying this. Don't forget where you used to be. Now, 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 again, let me read this. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. And he goes to the circumcision. Why does it go to the circumcision? Because the circumcision was a token given to the people of God that God was with them. He says, now, I want you to remember... You were at one time called uncircumcised. Which means that God has something going on with somebody and you were left out of it. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time you were without Christ. No, no, you didn't hear that, did you? You were on your own. You had no peace. If you did have peace, it was a peace of this world. So at one time, you knew what it was like not to have peace. Because you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers from the covenants of promise. Look at this, having no hope. And without God in the world. But now. But now, see, at one time, you were without God. At one time, you were without Christ. But something has happened. Now you're no longer on the outside. You're no longer a stranger to him. 
You're with him. And he's with you. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Because he is our peace. Glory to God. We have now been made nigh by the blood of Christ. When you receive Christ, when you believed on the gospel message, God says, now you're with me. And I am with you. Now, I want to just take it aside real quick. I want to talk about the manifest presence of God. And, and it, it still has to do with all of this. Turn to Luke chapter 17. And I want to use that term, the manifest presence of God. That is a term that is used in Christendom. And I just want you, want you to think. Just want you to think. The manifest presence of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, well, look at the word manifest. Manifest means to make known or to make apparent. Wouldn't that be the case? And so when we talk about the manifest presence of God, we're talking about the presence of God and we're talking about manifestation or manifesting the presence of God. It would be saying, to have the manifested presence of God would be saying to have more than just an idea. When I'm talking about the manifested presence of God, I'm saying, God, give me something to hold on to more than a word. Give me something I can handle. Give me something I can wrap my arms around. Wouldn't that be the case? See, because I got a word. But, 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 but what, what are you going to give me so that I can know it's more than just a word? It's more than just a concept. Oh, and I think about this and I think of Abraham. See, because, and I do believe this, I believe if anything is true, there ought to be some evidence. So the manifested presence of God is saying, what's my token? What's the token that this is not just some fancy, nice-sounding, poetic term? But Abraham, God spoke to Abraham and said, now Abraham... I brought you out of Ur the Chaldees and I put you in this land that you will inherit. And Abraham said, okay, okay, I got the word. But give me something I can handle. Give me something I can wrap my arms around. Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit this? And it's so interesting to me because in all honesty, I know how us who aren't God can be. You know, if you are the owner of a, I don't know, a big business, and you walk in and somebody mistakes you as somebody who sweeps, you get kind of offended. I don't need no credentials. You should know who the, you know, God could have gone there, but he didn't. He went along and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a token. Wow. You know, Luke chapter 17, 
So the question is, what is the evidence that God is with me? Or that God is with us, church? What's the evidence? What's the token? Luke chapter 17, verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees. I'm sorry. Let me read that again. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees. Some of us say make a demand on God. When he was demanded of the Pharisees. You know, I like how the scriptures put it in there. Because the scriptures want us to know. It's wrong. They're out of order and out of line. They don't know who they're dealing with. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Amen. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Uh, within, that word means among. King God is among you. He says, now, now I know what you're demanding. And I'm going to deal with your problem. <laughs> you're demanding to know when the kingdom of God is going to appear. But I want to let you know, it's not going to come with observation because you're looking for the wrong thing. I, you're expecting some great cloud to open up. Some great scene in heaven. And then, bam, everybody's going to know right then and there that that's the kingdom of God. You're waiting for the preacher to call you out by name. <laughs> call you down and tell you some, something secret that only you and God knows before you're going to believe that God's presence is here. You're looking for the wrong thing. And then he says, neither shall they say low here or low there again. That's not by observation. For behold, the kingdom of God is among you. People are missing what they should be looking for because they're looking for the wrong thing. They were waiting for something to show up, and it was already there. No, you, you missed that, did you? You missed that. They're like, now, what is the token of the kingdom of God? He said, now, now, you're looking for the wrong token. And you're waiting for something that you should already have. We're looking for the miraculous as the evidence while we're missing what he already has for us. Romans chapter 14. I'm telling you, when he's with you, the manifestation is there. <laughs> Romans chapter 14. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and join the Holy Ghost. Righteousness and peace and joy. This is the kingdom of God. That's your evidence. That's your token. I know, I love it. I, I, I love it. Because God just keeps it simple. We're waiting for something earth-shattering, earth-moving. No, it is earth-shattering. It is earth-moving. Because I have righteousness. 
I've got peace. And I've got joy. Amen. That's the evidence. See, joy overtakes being depressed and being distraught. That's the token. (laughs) That's the evidence. Peace overtakes my worry. That's the evidence. The doctor gave you a bad report, but I still have peace. That's the evidence. Because remember, when I hear that, you know what? My God heals. I know exactly who to go to now. Thank you. You broke? Uh, Let me introduce you to the provider. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. And and, uh, I'll leave that alone. It is he who giveth you power that you might procure wealth so that he might establish his covenant. He will make a way. He will provide if you're not stingy. You you know what I mean by stingy? Keeping back from your own church. Oh, but people who do that, they're not with God. And God's not with them. But righteousness, peace, joy. Righteousness overtakes my sinful inclination. That's the evidence, people. Oh, to me, that's the reason to shout and to sing. That's the reason to lift up hands. See, because once upon a time, I couldn't help myself. But now, you know what? I've got the token. I've got righteousness. I now can produce that which is pleasing before God. When I couldn't help myself, now I find myself not even desiring. I found a greater desire. I'm not the man I used to be. I don't do the things I used to do. I don't think the way I used to think. (laughs) That's the evidence. Now again, be afraid if you're the same person you used to be. Be afraid if you still go the places you used to go. Be afraid if you still speak the same language you used to speak. Hallelujah. And I want you to understand this. See, the token is not him moving all the troubles out the way. You are the token. You are the evidence. I'm sorry. It is you. See, because the kingdom of God comes not with observation. For behold, it's among you. You walking uprightly. You rejoicing when all others are giving up hope. You having peace when they say, why aren't you in despair? That's the token. That's the evidence. Why? Because I'm with the Father. And he is with me. Oh, this is... Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I know I get excited about some things people don't get excited about. That excites me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And someone might say, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good one. Someone might say, I, I thought that 
the earnest of our expectation, or the earnest of our inheritance, was the Holy Ghost. Well, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Ghost. How did that come to you? How was his peace delivered to you? It's by the work of the Holy Spirit. It was the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost that gives you this peace. And it's not your righteousness. It is his righteousness delivered to you by the Holy Ghost. See, that causes me to rejoice that my God is with me. Because we've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. <laughs> Corinthians chapter 8. I want God to pay my bills. Uh, no, that's not the token. <laughs> that's not the token. I want to win the publisher's clearinghouse. That's not the token. <laughs> Righteousness. Peace. Enjoy the manifested presence. Of God. Now I like this because it goes contrary to what people would say about these people. But I want you to know in Second Corinthians chapter eight, he talks about people who have God's presence because they're with God. Moreover, brethren, we do you the wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in the great trial of affliction, see peace. In times of trouble, I'm stable. In times of affliction, my routine doesn't change. I praise him before the affliction showed up. And because I have peace when the affliction shows up, I'm still praising him. How that in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. That's the manifested presence. <laughs> Hallelujah. I have joy in the midst of my affliction. I'm with God. <laughs> and God's with me. Let's do something good. Let's do something righteous. How then a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. See, I, I, I don't think you understand this. You might get your, I know they talked about the giving statements and and all that. And you might look at your contribution statement and say, look at how I gave. But you didn't give in deep poverty, so it ain't that great a liberality. But they gave better than you gave, and they didn't have it to give. In their affliction. Why? Because of his manifested presence. No, no, you, you missed that again. The manifested presence isn't God moving the affliction out of the way. It is that in the midst of the affliction, I got righteousness. I got peace. I got joy. I don't know about you, but I, I can remember, I can think on times when, when before Christ, I would have been down. But with Christ, oh, the music was playing. <laughs> My heart was not troubled. I was not afraid. Because I know who I serve. For to their power, I bear record yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. This they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So he said, they were where 
God is. They must have had assurance that went beyond the lint in their pockets. I mean, they put us to shame. They put us to shame. You know, we're at home watching cable, saying, I can't afford to tie. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to your name. You know, we do get new cars. Yeah, but when someone mentions, you know, you don't say it out loud. When someone mentions another giving opportunity, shh, please. You don't say it out loud. You, you know, yeah, I know. You ought to be quiet. You know, just, just everybody, just say Amen, Amen, Amen. That's for somebody. But sometimes we just don't know what we have. It's, and you know, one reason why we don't give because we're afraid. But peace is not fear. <laughs> and so when I have peace. I don't fear like that. When I'm at peace, I can be that poor widow with two mites. See, she abounded into the riches of her liberality. While others gave more than she gave, they gave out of their abundance. But she had something else that the others were missing. And I am out of time. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.